Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, welcome to yet another riveting episode of The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swerlow. Today we are talking about the seventh commandment. That came after six and before eight. If Number I'm not seven. Number seven. You shall not steal. What does this mean, Bill? It means we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. This one's pretty rich. It's a lot richer than it looks on the surface. Or poor, depending on how much (laughs) of it you have. Good point. I like the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This gives us the right to not keep and bear arms. That's where I go first, but the right to property. It certainly affirms that right. Yeah. That if you, it's presumed if you shall not steal, it recognizes that you're taking something that God has given to somebody else and that he has a God-given right to. So it presumes private personal property. A lot of people really get the idea that if somebody has a lot of money that, uh, well, if they're a good Christian, they'll just share it with me. And if they won't, then maybe I should just uh, take it because really they aren't good Christians for not sharing with me or something like that. I, I think the sharing part is is quite on target. Uh, there are any number of places in the Scripture. James, the, the entire book of James is really addressed to what apparently is a rather wealthy congregation, but James has much to say to the rich about, about uh, not hoarding their wealth and sharing it with the poor. However, uh, there is no counterpart that if they're unwilling to share, well, then do the Robin Hood thing and, and just steal from them and, uh, because you have some inherent right to it. That's, that's, uh, not, that runs foul of this commandment. Okay, uh, let's set this up like it is Robin Hood. You have an unjust uh, ruler who's taxing people mercilessly and their treasury cart goes around and uh, there's a guy with a bow and arrow taking away the treasury from the rich and giving back to the poor. Is that good or bad? Well, I think the question is who who gave it to you to uh, decide how wealth is to be distributed? Uh, that, that's that's the real fallacy there is, is by what authority are you doing these things? It sounds all well and good, I suppose, that the rich have too much and they don't deserve to have as much as they do, and so we're just going to even things out and and uh, and give it all equally. Uh, like I, I, I point out in catechism class when I talk to people, I, I said God does not distribute wealth evenly. That's that's obvious. That there are pockets of great wealth and there are places of great poverty, and 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 God has not distributed wealth evenly, and that's just not fair. But God's not fair. He's good and gracious, but it never says that he's fair. And he creates a situation whereby the rich in the plenitude of their wealth, are given a great opportunity of sacrificial giving. In fact, I think that's the purpose of having wealth, is to give it away. And, uh, and, or to put it to work. You know, what's, that, what's that, that saying? You rarely see, you never see a poor man's signature on a paycheck. <laughs> so, so, but uh, God has entrusted. It's a stewardship. Those who have a lot of money 
uh, ought to recognize that that is a, a gift from God. Wealth is a gift from God, and it's a stewardship. And, and, and God intends that for the blessing, not only the person holding the wealth, but the blessing of, of people around him. And indeed, uh, there have been numbers of wealthy people who have, have blessed many. On account of, Bill Gates is doing some remarkable stuff, I think, with his with with his masses of wealth too. Yeah, I guess he's only going to leave his children a couple trillion dollars or something. There you go; the- those deadbeats they can <laughs> they can fend for themselves. That's right. Uh, uh, <laughs> only only twenty billion for you. The rest goes to charity. Right. Well, <laughs> I I can God knows you know, God knows that what would happen if I had a lot of money, and therefore he keeps me and money about as far away from. <laughs> <laughs> We're about as far away from each other as the East is from the West. I, I, I'm not complaining. I have enough to get by. But believe me, if I had a lot of money, I'm not sure I'd be sitting here doing this. No, actually, we're doing this for free. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not but, a paying gig. This, here. I probably would be doing this if I had a lot of money. But uh, but uh, no, God God keeps money uh, quite far from me. It, it seems like even in the little things that have to do with money and purchases, I I I'm just stupid when it comes to money, and somehow. I, I think God just wants to say, you know, he's a lot safer when he's just a little bit hungry. <laughs> I'm going to give you some stock advice right now, Bill. Okay. Advice okay. in my stocks? What, what Advice. I'm taking, I'm taking advice. a bath right now. There, not, okay. So here's what you do. Mm. Follow me and everything that I do, do the opposite. Do the opposite. It's do, do the anti-Craig thing. Because what happens is I overwatch stuff and I overwatch and I overwatch. And I'm like, yeah, it's growing. It's growing. And the problem is it's grown and then I buy and then, of course, it dies because that's the way things work. We live – Oh, now you drive a nice car though. It's In fact, I, I've said this about you, that, that you, 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 have a, you have a knack for creating the impression of wealth. <laughs> I, 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 you're not wealthy, but you sure look it. And, and, and you look like you're comfortable around money. So if you ever found some, you'd, you'd handle it real well. I know it. I, I'm willing to try. <laughs> but uh, but you, you, you look comfortable in that well, lifestyle. I've, I've got a, a fancy European car that's nine years old and 150,000 miles right. on it. But it looks good. It looks good. So, <laughs> so, so there's this facade of wealth that I really admire. I, I, I think I think you you wear it well, even though you don't actually have it. Okay, so here's the deal: we're in a presidential election cycle here in 2008, whatever year we're in here, and we've got two guys running, and the rhetoric always goes to the rich aren't paying their share, and therefore we need to soak the rich so that they will pay their share. And it doesn't matter if they're paying 60% in taxes, they're still rich, therefore they're not paying their their share. This class envy, uh, this sort of envy and covetousness comes into play in the Seventh Commandment in a lot of ways. Well, it, it certainly has uh, political dimensions. And, and, and I think like all the other commandments, nobody gets away clean on this one. Because on the one side... The the conservative, I think it was Martin Marty in a book he wrote long, long time ago, back in the 60s, called The Hidden Discipline. It's a, a great little commentary on Luther's large catechism. But he says something like this. He says, the conservative screams welfare state anytime that, that money is being given out to the poor. And uh, the liberal screams exploitation every time the, the rich make some more money. Uh, for their investments, and everybody's busy making excuses how the other guy is to blame for for the mess that we're in. The commandment sitting there judging everybody for their their thefts, whether they be grand larceny or petty thefts or shoplifting or anything. It's all theft and it's all being condemned. So I don't think anybody's going to come away clean here. But there really is a political dimension to this too. That 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 personal property is not 
doled out equally and that especially in our system, our capitalist system, there are going to be winners and losers. And you know, one of the questions that, that's always kicked around the, politicals, uh, the political side of things is, is what kind of safety net is there? Should there be one at all or do you just let the losers fall into the uh, economic abyss? Well, Jesus said the poor will always be among you. Meaning? So, oh, there's always going to be poor folks. True. The world, the to, world. Give, to give to. Do you know that begging was considered an honorable vocation at the time of Jesus? If you couldn't do anything else, that's how you supported your family and supplied daily bread as you begged. Okay, now I'm going to sound like a conservative, but those were people who couldn't work, not wouldn't work, right? Right, and I'm going to sound like a just a far-left liberal and said that if you had money in your wallet, you were, you were required to give to them. That's as Jesus said, give to whomever asks. <laughs> See, I really believe that when the state stepped up and started to uh, uh, appropriate people's money to give to the poor and to charitable things that the country was pretty much already giving to, there were poor houses and so forth, that the power to do these things was kind of taken away from the church where it rightly belongs. In the early days of the church, if you wanted to join under a persecuted church, the first place that they would take you was where the good works were being done, where the poor were being fed and clothed and housed and so forth and so on. This was the first site of the church that you would get. And this is what the church has always done throughout the ages is <laughs> proclaiming the gospel first and foremost, but also doing these acts of charity. And now that we're taxed at a high rate, a lot of people won't give for these things anymore because they say, well, why? You're already taking 30, 40% of my paycheck to do it. Why should I give to the church to do this when the government's already doing it? So I think that this has really hurt us in the area of charitable giving and giving for the sake of the poor and even for the sake of the gospel. I think that's an interesting point that, that welfare as a form of institutionalized charity and anything that's institutionalized, then it, it loses its, if you will, it loses its soul. So that whereas charity was, was something that was done individually, I, I intentionally gave something to somebody else or to an organization. Now it's done indirectly. I'm just, I'm having money taken out of my paycheck and it's being doled out and metered out in various places. And I don't have a direct say in that. I have an indirect say. And so it becomes less of a charitable act, an act of caritas, of love on, on my part. And mm. it's much more of an institutionalized thing. On the other hand, I think it is the, 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 part of the left-hand kingdom. It's part of the role of government to protect and help the, the weak and the disenfranchised and, and those, those who, who are truly, um, that they're not able to necessarily compete or make it in this kind of an economy or that. I, I think there is a role for government that as part of being God's department of defense. So I, I wouldn't rule that out entirely, but I agree with you that I think the more the government does stuff like that, the less involved people actually are. And as you said, the church, one of the primary out pieces of outreach for the church was acts of charity, works of mercy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, in our culture, we just don't see church institutions like we used to. There, there were so many Lutheran hospitals and so many Roman Catholic hospitals and Baptist and Methodist and everything else hospitals, but we just don't see that these things are going on to the same extent that they were. There still are some, but to the same extent, we're, we're just not seeing that kind of 
acts of love as far well, as well i i think if the government's going to take away uh, a large chunk of your money that that is necessarily going to mean that people are less inclined to give more uh to charitable causes uh on the other hand uh, the church still is involved in in many ways in in uh, filling in where the government does not do a good job. You, generally, the government is not the best place. The, that's not the best agency to do this kind of work. You know, in the church, and and we're, we've kind of gone far afield already. We need to get back to the catechism. Your fault. No, it is. I, I dragged us off into this, but I know in the church that if you lay out a need, people will give more than if you're just saying the church needs more money. You know, instead of saying there's a family in our midst that's really hurting and. There's a specific need. People are willing to step up and give for something like that. And so I think if it's a directed giving that people are still pretty charitable and the church is still a charitable place, but not quite like it used to be, where this was the house of charity. You know one area where I think still the churches excel over governments, and that's in these sort of world relief efforts. If you look at who's at the forefront of, of say, world hunger, Hmm. or in disaster relief, tsunami relief or earthquake or or that, uh, governments get in early and they make their splash when when with emergency. That's kind of their thing. But when it comes to the long-term rebuilding and when it comes to uh, reestablishing communities and and getting things rolling again, I, I think the churches still do vastly more uh, good in that regard of, over the long term because their investment really is in people and and communities and that whereas government tends to be involved in infrastructure and just basically getting mm-hmm. the thing back back in some semblance of order yeah there's there's been a controversy in our own church about millions of dollars being held back for tsunami relief and I got sucked into this and I think you're the one who set me straight if I'm not mistaken but there were several million dollars and I, I said well the tsunami happened a couple of years ago in in southeast asia so why are we sitting on top of this money and then i think it was you who brought it around to my attention that when someone dies there's this outpouring of love at the front end but then six months in the widow is left alone and the outpouring of love has stopped and so the church is uh, at least our church in this case is a very proactive about holding back until that outpouring of love has really died off so that the love can continue in a lot of ways. Yeah, and the long-term rebuilding can take place yeah. too. The tsunami has, has long been displaced by other disasters. Right. You have your disaster du jour these days. So so it's there's always something that's going to grab the headlines. But what we forget about is that you don't recover in two years from something like that. Whole villages, whole communities are destroyed, and the rebuilding takes a long time. And so, yeah, there's still there's are still monies collected from years ago that are still being used to help the very people in those places that uh, have long since dropped from the headlines. That's a tremendous thing. Okay, let's get back to the catechism. Uh, we should not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and home. A lot of times we run into things, scams and schemes, where we're going to get rich and we're going to get all these people to throw a bunch of money into a pot, like a pyramid scheme or something like that, and it sounds really great and everybody's going to get rich together, 
But ultimately, the people at the top get all the money, and the rest of the people are just stupid suckers in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Under undergirding this commandment is greed, and and ultimately that's going to come into play in the ninth and the tenth commandments with the orientation of the heart to acquire more. Uh, but this is where greed kind of comes into full flower. This is where greed goes to seed, as it were, and you start scheming to to get rich at somebody else's expense. Uh, you pointed out these these Ponzi schemes or something. Yeah. It looks honest at at the very superficial, the surface level. It looks honest, but when you parse it out, it's only the uh, the initial players that make money, and then everybody else loses money. And and uh, there seems to be a scam a minute going on. That's another place where the internet has really blossomed. Oh yeah, wonderful. All the uh, all the bogus emails that come from Nigeria oh, or gosh. something uh, yeah. just designed to empty your bank account. And and if you actually have an ounce of logic and and look at that why in your right mind would you respond to all we need is your bank account number and we can transfer the funds oh yeah i'm going to be giving this out to some guy from (laughs) nigeria that i i I actually emailed them back and said do i have moron written on my forehead what's wrong with you (laughs) at which point they send me back a death threat you know (laughs) we'll chop off your head yeah sort of ramp it up from there yeah well, you know, you, you have both the usual pattern in our catechism of, of the positive and the negative, or the negative and the positive, not take our neighbor's money or possessions. So one of the, one of the sides of the commandment is that, that we are to, to refrain from taking what is not ours. Uh, and again, you see that intensification. It's not just about the, the physical act of stealing, but it's, it, it, could be, it could be things like stealing time. Yeah. That uh, the, the employee... Wasting time uh, surfing porn on the internet to latch on to last last episode, <laughs> or or just just basically shopping on the internet or, or messing around. You know, a lot of a uh, lot of employers are being very scrupulous about watching internet activity. Yeah, uh, not so much for what they're doing, but just how much time they're wasting. Hmm. Uh, that you used to be the water cooler where you hung around, and and now you surf the web or or mess around with email, or send something each like other that. jokes and stuff all the time. And the the, the yeah. commandment really runs on both sides. It's a, a fair day's wage for a fair day's work kind of thing. So the worker cheats his employer, and employers are known to be a little stiff with the employees and try to get as much work out of them and more, and squeeze ever more. And that's that's becoming really common today with home offices. And all these communication devices, the idea of a workday is down the tubes these days. And so employers seem to feel entitled to uh, a full 24-7 from you, and there's no boundary anymore between work and home. I, I guess, you know, the, there are certain things. I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek not too long ago, and uh, the author makes a pretty interesting point. He says, look, you know, if you have an 8-hour workday, and you find the most productive hours of the day are, you know, at 7 a.m. or something like this. And you can get all your work done early in the morning because you can contact people and get them and so forth and so on. If you put in a four-hour workday or three-hour workday and you get more accomplished than everyone else who's doing an eight-hour workday, you know, shouldn't you be able to just knock off at that? I think it all depends on what the expectation and agreement is with the employer. Uh, you know, my wife works out of the home, and and she strictly contracts. So she she works when she has work, and she doesn't work when she doesn't have work. Of course, uh, she makes her income is proportionate to that. Right. And uh, there's something nice about that actually, because it it uh, 
it takes away this notion I'm going to get a paycheck even if I don't do anything. And then I yeah. kind of test to see how little I can do to still stay in this job and get that paycheck, kind of like what you and I do. But no, I'm just getting there. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, but, but that's part of our sinful human nature is uh, our, our human nature corrupted by sin is that, that we always try to look for that least common denominator. How little do I have to do? to uh, maximize what I can get out of it. Well, the thing ultimately, and I, I saw through the problem you know, pretty early, is the thing is he is being paid by the hour, not by the job. Right. So, you know, yeah, okay, if you accomplish more in three hours than most people do in eight hours, just think of what you could do in eight hours. He said, well, that's the point, is I should be able just to work three hours because I'm accomplishing more already. But the reality is you're being paid for so many hours' work and even if you're just sitting at your desk staring at the wall, you're being paid to be there. And that's... In a sense, and it's, it's in some sense, it's your employer's responsibility to get you to fill that time. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, we're going to... What's that saying? That uh, that uh, a task uh, fills the time it's given it? Yeah. And so, so we can turn any 10-minute task into an hour task if we know somebody's going to give us more. It's an well, anti-reward. Here, on the, on the other hand, more. <laughs> yeah, on the other hand, any employer that had an employee like this, if he fired him, he'd be an idiot because it's like, hey, you know what? You did eight hours of work in three hours. I'll tell you what. Let's strike a deal here. Work four and a half hours and do that kind of production. Take the rest of the day off. He's the good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that goes that, – that's part of being a, a, a good manager or employer is recognizing that. This commandment also speaks to dishonesty in all of its forms. Yes. Uh, there is this little crook hidden in all of us that uh, – uh, Luther talks about fair weights and measures and scru- and and unscrupulous business practices. Uh, I don't know whether you've you've seen this. But they used to do a study back before the computer scanner, where items were hand checked through the like at the grocery store, and they found that statistically the error favored the store more often than it favored the customer. Funny, even though it should be it should be pretty random. And then we've all sw- they've switched now to computer, and it, the errors still favor the store. <laughs> so go figure. Uh, it, but the idea of fair weights and measures, going all the way back to where the guy had the measuring stone as uh, when he was parceling out the barley and the wheat, and that stone was supposed to be a reference weight, and it was always shaved off just a little bit, you know. And mm. so if you cheated everybody just a little bit, you could you could get one more sale out of it. And, uh, and we still do that today, um, which is why we have, we were talking about government, all these government agencies watching for fair business practices and, and the like, uh, because the propensity to cheat, uh, the customer and to try to eke out a little bit more profit. You see the thing with the gas. What's that? You know, that uh, these these pumps deliver less gas in warm weather than in cold weather because of of, of the gas of the expansion. Expansion, of the gas. yeah. Now here's the funny thing: they accommodate that, or they 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 calculate. They have they have uh, ways of measuring that when they're filling up trucks. And when they're filling up at the gas station, but they don't use that same thing when you're filling up your car. Go <laughs> so, figure. Who knew? Now, I guess the reasoning is that it all kind of comes out in the wash in the end. But uh, um, I don't know. I have to think that our present economic crisis and and bad mortgages and all of that uh, plays into this commandment as well. As oh, in, yeah. In terms of people uh, going for the quick buck or, or – or trying to get rich uh, quick in real estate and that extending themselves way beyond their means, gambling against uh, 
against the the rising housing market and that. And what happens is you have almost literally an entire economic collapse as a result of human greed. It's amazing to me how many people fall for this sort of thing repeatedly, that if something looks too good to be true, it really usually is. What goes up will come down sooner or later, it seems, especially especially economically. Uh, We had the dot-com bust of the 90s. We have the housing bust now. We've had several before and since. And if you're putting money into something and there's really no good reason that it's doing whatever it's doing, probably best not to do that. And greed is the big fueling thing. We're going to get something for nothing. We're going to you know, make a billion dollars off a $50 investment. It's just ridiculous to, to assume such a thing. So there has to be a lot of wisdom involved with our investing. And this kind of brings us back around to uh, the fair business practices of a lot of people that there really is no substitute for a day's wage for a day's work. There just is something about making sure that you're putting in your effort the way that it should be put in and everything else. And, and everything else seems to kind of take care of itself in the long run. So on the one hand, you have this, this idea of, of stealing as appropriating somebody else's stuff, whether illegally or dishonestly or, or however you get it. And then the, the other side is the positive side. And, and this is where I think the, the catechism's treatment of the commandment is, is interesting because we only think in terms of thou shalt not. You know, God just just restricting our activities, but but there's also the positive side. But help him to improve and protect. Help your neighbor improve and protect his possessions and income. So so not only is it is it not taking, but there's an active side in helping somebody else maintain, improve, and protect the possessions that he has. Now I see this kicking in everything from watching out for your neighbor's house was on vacation, you know, and somebody breaking in the house, calling the cops, or in your case, getting your gun. I don't know. But, That's but, right. I, yeah. br- I break out old Bessie. There you are. Uh, but but uh, that we have an obligation to help our neighbor. Also maintaining our own property so that the property values don't slide all the way down the street because, because our property just looks like a shambles. Uh, I think that's part of the commandment, too. Uh, I also think where I where we're located here in Los Angeles, uh, the graffiti types. Mm, There's yeah. a form of theft. I call it urban mildew. <laughs> is 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 where every piece of public property is just is just tagged with spray paint, uh, and it looks like looks like garbage. And it it just it really is. It's like mildew in your shower, and and it costs the city. It costs us individually huge amounts of money. Uh, for somebody to basically have the thrill of seeing his signature on some freeway overpass. Well, yeah, and if you get caught erasing it by him, he might shoot you in the leg or something also. Which leads really me to nice. kind of an I, – I think I have an interesting cure for, for tagging, and, and that is declare open season on tagging, kind of like deer season or something like that. Now, if we don't want to use real guns, I think sort of a hair of the dog approach might work, and that is paintball. So you, you 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 go and you nail them with fluorescent green or yellow paintballs. Now I understand you get hit with a paintball that that stings in and of itself. Yeah, they they leave welts. Yeah. yeah, but not only that, but you got some guy walking around with glow in the dark dots all over him. He's easy to find. You arrest him. You just kind of you have cops going around with UV lights and you just go and arrest him because he's got a, a bunch of these paintball. Marks you know, a lot of him. those pepper sprays do have UV markers in them. Also, there you go. So if you spray a bad guy in the eyes, the cops can. 
just kind of find them with a black light. And it would hard. be kind of sporting, I think, to be going around and all of a sudden you just see like a four-point buck and you just kind of pop one with a paintball gun. See, I like that idea. I was just thinking caning straight out, you know, just kind of oh, you grab and start it's beating the, him with a stick. The Singapore school of... I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of the, of the Singapore school. It's a school strong of... left hand there, I'm telling you. <laughs> so we're talking about stealing all sorts of stuff. And one of the things, we already talked about stealing time a little bit. And we're doing that right now. But is taking other people's it's time... our time to steal. And wasting other people's time. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, there, there are people who will come in my office and just want to talk and talk about nothing they, they just want to talk and i i've got other things that i need to do but just just taking time well you know i think in the pastoral vocation time time is something it's one of those things that i think you make time available uh, because that's that's kind of the raw material that we work in uh, people do need to talk they, they have so few opportunities to sit down and talk with another human being in a meaningful way or be listened to I think that's why therapists make as much money as they do. That's a good point, and I'm going to steal your time right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Craig and Bill's Nanny, also known as God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. And we're talking about the Seventh Commandment today. What, what is the Seventh Commandment, Bill? The seventh commandment is you shall not steal. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. The interesting income, not just possessions. Well, it's looking out for the welfare of your neighbor. And uh, like we've been talking about, this, this commandment, deals with the gift of property, and really the, the material world, material blessings. Uh, I think you hear a lot in some Christian circles about uh, materialism, especially at Christmas time. You notice that that's when everybody goes on this anti-material thing while they're going out shopping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And complaining about how materialistic Christmas is, which is really kind of shooting in the wrong direction because Christmas is a celebration of how the Son of God became material. So it's hardly an anti-material, <laughs> uh, anti-material sort of sort of day. But I actually think the there's something positive about all that shopping at Christmas. It does give a, a big boost to the economy. A lot of our lot, a lot of portions of our economy really rely on that holiday cheer. And it's probably one of the few days out of the year where we actually think about the needs of somebody else and go out and try to meet them. So it's not all that bad. Well, that and you also have the trickle-down trickle effect of providing more jobs. So you're looking out for your neighbor and making sure that there are more jobs also. Yeah, and I hear that, that at, at close of business on Christmas Eve, they all gather around the cash register and sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So it, <laughs> it's, it's a religious moment for a lot of people. But oh. but the uh, the commandment deals with, with material goods. And, and, and I think, again, the, this, is, this is where the commandment serves as a corrective as well, that God not only approves of the possession of property and, and he gives us property to possess, but he blesses the material world. This is his creation, and the material world is, is put at our disposal and service, and these possessions are intended to be used by us. They are our servants. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that is interesting about materialism and the church in this way 
is a lot of the theology that's going on these days, the whole theology of glory thing, uh, where there are a lot of TV evangelists that are saying, you know, if you send me 50 bucks, God will give you $5,000 or $500,000 or whatever. And it, it just seems that Christianity as a whole as uh, seen in the evangelical world, seems to be drawn off into this material uh, aspect of the faith instead of being drawn toward Christ who is God for us. Well, there's, there's always a real danger that we measure God's favor toward us by the favors he does for us or by our material blessing. If you, if you look at, at the, the parable that Jesus teaches of the rich man and Lazarus, and he sets this, this stark contrast between a man dressed in purple, the most expensive of all colors, eating and drinking these sumptuous feasts at his table every day, and then down at his gate is a beggar named Lazarus who's sitting in full view of this banquet, and he has these sores that the dogs are licking, and he's, he has nothing. And if you were to ask a religious person of Jesus' day, which of those two guys was blessed by God, which had the favor of God, I would wager that nine out of ten would say it was the rich man on the basis of his riches, and that Lazarus was cursed. Either he or his parents or somebody had done something that he was in this dire condition that he was in. Now, of course, the parable goes on and flips. Death is the big reversal, and, yeah. and everything flips, and Ra- Lazarus is blessed in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man's in, in the pit of Hades and in torment and, and all. But, but that's the great surprise in the parable, is that it turns out that the rich man is not blessed by God. In fact, all of his, his, his riches have basically gone to nothing and and he's in torment and he's ordering Lazarus around like he's the water boy you know he says, tell Lazarus <laughs> come bring me a drink but it doesn't it doesn't work out because because everything now has been been turned literally right side up and and the one who appeared poor in this life is now rich and and that corresponds also with the beatitudes you know to make christianity about wealth and and so forth it's, it's a little goofy i always tell my parishioners you know you don't want to take financial advice from someone like Jesus. He had to pretty much fish his tax money out of a fish's mouth. <laughs> he, he didn't really have a, a home or a bed of his own. You know, he, he, he's, he wasn't exactly the wealthy guy that you want to emulate in that way. Uh, probably not the guy to get the best financial advice from. He'd probably just tell you like he told the rich man, go give all your stuff to the poor and come follow me. Yeah, there's a piece of financial advice for you. Is <laughs> is is, is yeah, the rich man, young man wants to know what what he must do to inherit eternal life, and so Jesus tells him what to do, and and uh, he starts out with all the commandments like we're doing, and and this guy hadn't, of course, heard us or read the catechism or taken to heart what the commandments say. Right, he didn't have the benefit of the God whispers. Yeah, and so he figures he kept them all, and so Jesus says, "Well, you just lack one thing: sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me." And it's kind of funny that he he doesn't hear that last uh, that last sentence. Come follow me, because that's that's the disciple making word. Yeah. Instead, he hears, "Give everything you have to the poor," and he's thinking, "Holy smokes, I got a whole inventory of stuff here." And and uh, so he walks away with a big, long, sad face, which tells you if you want to a- ask that question, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Uh, you're going to walk away with a big, long, sad <laughs> face. So don't ask that question. Well, it's interesting. Jesus says there's one thing that you lack, and you have everything. Okay, fine. You think you're righteous. That's good for you. 
but you miss one thing. What's the one thing? Well, that one thing is 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 trust in the promises of God. Yeah, you know, Jesus Himself, Christ. who's yeah. standing in front of you. You you got everything. Here's the thing, except you need. me. Yeah, so follow <laughs> me, and you got it all. And uh, but I, you know, I like to think that guy was Mark because that you know, in in Mark, this 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 whole episode is written with an additional line. Whenever I see an additional line in a gospel, I take it as kind of pay attention, sort of signature. It says he looked on him and loved him. Huh. And only Mark says that. That's a rather personal note. And and he being young and and perhaps wealthy, but perhaps Mark is the one who uh, who uh, uh, went away with a long face but came back. Interesting. I had never heard that theory. Uh, just mine. Just, I, just I think it's a it crazy out. theory. And you crazy. I I don't want to judge you, but you're you know going what to the te- the textbook on wealth is is Ecclesiastes. <laughs> you, you missed a good line there. Uh, that was say a good it again. For my I benefit. don't want to judge you, but you're going to hell. That was never mind. How can you say something like that? That's that's just unbelievable. For your blasphemy. That's, yeah, that you just for my blasphemy. Did, yeah. all, all these will be forgiven. I'm banking on there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I get a lot of mileage out of that. <laughs> I live by that one. <laughs> you know, the, the textbook on, on wealth is Ecclesiastes. Because here's Solomon. It's, it's traditionally attributed to Solomon. He says, been there, done that. He's had it all. He's had women. He's had wine. He's had food. He's had wealth. He's had it all. And he says, there's nothing there there. He's, he calls it all vanity or emptiness or meaninglessness. Or I like to paraphrase the whole book, Life Sucks. And, and it's, it's an amazing book because he says, I've, I've, I've had everything that men could want to acquire, and there's absolutely nothing there. He's he's the same guy also that uh, said out of a thousand men there's one good one and out of all the women not one good one was to be found. He, he was said, the wisest man on did, the face of the earth that? too. Yeah, he did. I I, I missed that one. I, now in, in Ecclesiastes, sorry, that was random and stupid. Yeah, that really was. In in Ecclesiastes, it's probably from the book of Hezekiah. That's that's all the hidden sayings that uh, people like to dredge up, like like God helps those who help themselves. I, I love that. Yeah, that, first uh, Benjamin. Yeah, <laughs> Hezekiah two four. But but he, he talks about how that that the gift from God is that a man enjoy his work, and enjoy the fruits of his labor. All the meaningless days of his life under the sun. So it's it's a wonderful thing. It's a true theology of the cross. Is in the end, your your all you labored for is going to be, be handed over to some deadbeat who couldn't care less, and and all your wealth is just going to go go to rust. But but you know, here's the kicker: is that if you trust in Christ, trust in the promises of God, and there is joy even in this this life. Even that that's where that's where the joy of material stuff is, is trusting in the promise of God, then you can hold it with a kind of a loose, dead hand and enjoy it. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that a lot of rich people are not happy people? Yeah. We were talking about that at the break a little bit, and uh, I've known some very rich people. Uh, I I knew one guy whose father was worth, I think, $3 billion or something like that. And these people were paranoid. They were nuts. And it was all because... The money was everything, and you could never get enough. There was always a need for more, and everybody's trying to take it away from you. And so you assume that other people are trying to take away your stuff because that's what you're all about is all the stuff. And it goes the same with criminals who you know, are thieves. They assume everyone else is a thief. They, they think everyone else is dishonest and trying to get all the stuff from them, and so those who tend to be the most dishonest are, you know, they view everyone else as being the same way. 
Yeah, Luther has a has a comment about that in the large catechism when he says, anyone who robs and takes things by violence and dishonesty must put up with another who plays the same game. Hmm. Uh, and even if he doesn't, he's got to assume that everybody else is a thief because he's one too. Right. right. And for, he says, for God is a master of this art. Since everyone robs and steals from the other, he punishes one thief by means of another. <laughs> Which is nice. One guy gets robbed from the next. They never enjoy the fruits of their so-called labors, you know. And and uh, and that's the nature of thievery, I guess, is that if you don't respect the rights of property that, that another has, then why should anybody respect yours? Hey, I want to read something from from Martin Marty's book on the hidden the, called the Hidden Discipline. Here is. is yeah, he writes some some interesting stuff. This is Martin Marty, way way back. I think the copyright on this book is uh, 1962. It was published by Concordia Publishing House. Uh, this is a, a great little book. I always turn to this book in Lent because we always do a part of the Catechism in Lent, hmm. and so th- this book is is kind of is has become really good devotional reading too. But he talks about the, this commandment. He says, "What is forbidden is open, obvious stealing. For the good of the neighbor, the pro- prohibition is necessary." It has nothing to do with the respectable member of society, it would seem, it would seem, until we note that tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in the national economy are written into the overhead of supermarket owners who deal only with the respectables. Secondly, taking advantage of the other is forbidden. This is a more difficult situation for the man of conscience as he examines an expense account society which plans obsolescence into its very products. Even politics enters here. We talked about that the first hour. If one is conservative about economics, he shouts welfare state at all who would see to it that the poor are well regarded. If he's a liberal, he will shout exploitation at all who want to build personal incentives into the economy. If he's a laborer, he will point to the conniving of management. If he's a manager, he will point to the stealing written into the structure of big labor. All can find an excuse These structures seem too big for the individual to have an impact on them. While the excuse-making goes on, one is likely once again to overlook the profound meanings in the commandment. In the root of our evasions and excuses here, as with all the other commands, lie unbelief, the pursuit of false gods, slavery to creatures, to possessions. The issue then is not whose materialism, whether communisms or capitalisms, who is right, the liberal or the conservative? The issue is God's ownership and man's stewardship. God has his monogram on my possessions. I think that's a Luther quote. God huh. has his monogram on my possessions. I am to use them for others. And that, of course, then leads to the, uh, the other side of the seventh commandment, is using our possessions to uh, help and preserve the possessions and income of the other. That brings to mind another Luther quote, or, or a Luther quote, rather, that... Uh, I, I always liked is that the hand is split into fingers so that money can easily slip through them. Oh, something Luther said there. Yeah, you know, we we always do, I've I've done this paraphrase of Luther where he talks about money and and I just put it into an American context, but but you have this handful of bills and he says those are your servants. And you're to order them to do some work. So you say, Mr. Lincoln, you go help that man over there. And Mr. <laughs> Washington, go go and feed that hungry man. But but those are your servants. And uh, the problem with all, all possessions or material things is that things get flipped and so easily become, as Martin Marty says, the idolatry of the heart 
that now we become enslaved to those things. And so if it can't slip through your fingers, then you have to wonder whether these things have indeed become the idol that's become the source of our, or the, the object of our fear, love, and trust. Yeah, he who owns much is much owned. That's, <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why they're so unhappy. I, I, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. And, you know, you got to look at your stuff as just stuff. It's not people. It's not that important. All Like, like we were talking about earlier, all this stuff is going to rust and decay and moth will eat it and everything else. But there's one thing that endures, and that's the word of God and the truth of the gospel. Do you remember the day when everything that you owned could fit in your car? Yeah. When I went to seminary, I drove a uh, Honda Accord, and almost everything fit in that car, along with my buddy who drove with me. Oh, <laughs> that's <good>. that's <laughs> impressive. Nothing lashed to the roof. No. Oh, yeah. There was there was a big duffel bag lashed right, to the well, roof. But, but still, still, a Honda uh, Accord. Those days pretty was impressive. a small car. It was, yeah. It was a midsize sedan like I, it is now. I carried, but, I carried every possession worldly possession i had from from chicago to to berkeley in a ford maverick now i busted the shocks in reno nevada but still i think that's pretty impressive <laughs> that 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 i was able to get it including this 30 gallon fish tank i don't know why i was bringing it along with me but but i didn't want to part with my 30 gallon fish tank and I, I crammed all this stuff and was able to move now i i can't i i cannot fathom how i'm going to move well, you got all that woodworking stuff. I've got a garage load of woodworking stuff. I've got scuba gear pouring out of my closet. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, um, but we have not rented storage yet. That's pretty good. We have no rental storage, and I am self righteously proud of it. Too. I would say my church is kind enough to let me use an empty classroom as a storage space. You have de facto rental storage. Dude. <laughs> you need, to, you, you need to downsize. But. It's it's amazing and 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 a lot of that stuff I I I know could simply be given away, thrown away, well, recycled, that, you know, ground up. I don't know what. That's the thing. I don't know is why I'm a lot this of around. a lot of that junk that I have, I haven't even looked at for four years. No kidding. I have boxes that haven't been opened since the last time I moved, and then I just packed them on the truck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It'd be like Christmas, you know. I find my long lost clarinet from high school or something in there. I, I figure I'll unpack my last box of stuff that I moved to the church right around my retirement. <laughs> it's about twenty five years from now. That's right. Your life will just be a bunch of boxes you know, that you haven't looked at in all those years. But it's amazing. I've noticed that these 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 storage these storage things have sprung up like dandelions all oh, yeah. over the place. Yeah. And and houses have gotten bigger too, but but we've got a store, and and around around where I live, I don't think anybody has. I should talk because my my cars have not seen the inside of my garage since the day I moved in. All right, no, truthfully, since the day I bought the big power saw, <laughs> that was it. When that was parked in there, that was the end. But you look at you look in garages; those are vast storehouses of stuff that nobody even knows how to get rid of. So. We should sell all this stuff and give the money to the poor. And follow I'm, Jesus. I'm trying to get us back on the commandment. Oh, you're trying here. to get back on the commandment? I'm just exploring. <laughs> I'm exploring the lure of material. We, we love this stuff. Didn't George Carlin, the late George Carlin, have this great, great, uh, he had this great routine about stuff? 
about how you have all this stuff in your house. Then you go on vacation and you have to pack suitcase and boxes, loads of stuff because you want to take your stuff along with you because you can't be without your stuff. And and it's always a kind of a, a game whenever you're moving anybody. But where's your stuff and taking care of your stuff? And yeah. Got to keep my stuff organized. And, and we love our stuff. It's amazing the weird stuff that we accumulate and we count as important. And other people look at it and they say, why are you keeping this junk? Is, well, it's got sentimental value. It's got, you know, it's, it's got value to me. In fact, the more we use that word stuff, the more interesting it's becoming. <laughs> I, I had a, I, I have a, a friend in Russia. She, she likes uh, the word, the English word thing too, because it's an all purpose. It's, it stands for bazillion things, thing and stuff. She is a marvelous word because it can, it can stand for anything. But we, we do love this stuff. These things are gifts from God. And yet, uh, when the heart is unbuckled from God, as we talked about in the first commandment, it so easily becomes idolatrous. And I think to look at all the commandments that we've been looking at for up until now, it's all about idolatry, really. The idolatry yeah. of sex, the idolatry of, of you know, self-preservation and the hatred of the brother, the idolatry of self that won't submit to authority, um, and really the the... the, the the individual who wants to be God in place of God. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this morning I was teaching my Bible class on prayer. I've been going through the series on prayer. And we we started talking about the Lord's Prayer and basically how the center of this is thy will be done and we, we should pray for God's will. Give him thanks for everything that he's provided us and bring to him all of our petitions, all of our cares and all of our wants. And the discussion came around to what do we pray for? And it's really amazing that what we pray for really betrays the state of our heart in a lot of ways. Are we praying for a bigger house, a nicer car, a better job? You know, are we praying for more stuff for us? Or are we praying for our neighbor? Are we praying for our community? Are we praying for, you know, what are we praying for? And this really will betray the state of where you're at in your life and, you know, what you're, what you're focusing on. The, uh, I'm, I'm always impressed that, that in the Lord's Prayer... The stuff petition is the middle one. It's the fourth. Hmm. So it's not it's not out there. It's not unimportant. Yeah. But it's sandwiched between three thy petitions. You know, hallowed be thy name. May your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So those are the God petitions. And then there's the petition on forgiveness and being guarded against temptation, delivered from evil. And then in the middle of those seven, number four is give us this day our daily bread, which is commonly understood as the stuff petition. Although even that might have a strong Jesus component in it too. Yeah. In terms of Jesus being our daily bread, living bread come down from heaven. But uh, so it's not unimportant. And at some level it's central, but it certainly takes its place. It's not nine out of ten or six out of seven petitions. It's one out of seven and the middle one. And it's only, I think, rightly understood as it's prayed in the context of the things of God and the spiritual, eternal things of forgiveness and eternal life and salvation. Now, we're talking about stealing, and I think one of the ways that we sin greatest in this is we steal from God the glory that's due Him. A lot of times we think, well, gosh, you know, uh, I've got a superior intellect, therefore look how smart I am. Or, you know, I've got this gift and look how special I am. Instead of saying, thank you, God, for giving me these abilities. Thank you for helping me to, you know, learn these things, for giving me a great education, for giving me mentors. You know, all these things, we tend to take it under ourselves and kind of 
prance around like we're so darn smart and so darn special. But in this, I believe that we're stealing the glory that's due God. I like that. The, the, the idolatry that this commandment is exposing is, again, the idolatry of self, and it's a refusal to acknowledge the giver of the gift. Yeah. And instead is, is boosting the recipient. I, I'm, I'm the recipient of these gifts, and I'm a steward of them. So the steward has become the master. And, huh. and that's, that's the big flip-flop there. So now we think we're in charge. We're in control. And boy, do we get panicky when we discover we're not in control, when, when something takes away our stuff, when our stuff gets blown away yeah, by a hurricane yeah. or washed away by a flood. or something. It's as though life itself was, is, was over at that point. And we have this profound realization that we're not the master, but we're the servant and the steward. Well, and when you think that you're the master... You need the God whispers. That's what it's all about. <laughs> that's, that's right. We'll take you down a notch. <laughs> we, we retrain people. Because <laughs> your problem is not your God. Your problem is you. Uh, Luther makes a, takes a significant portion of his large catechism on the poor. And, and I, I want to read this portion of the, the large catechism because, because he zeroes in on this. Uh, beyond the the defrauding and stealing and robbing that goes on, uh, but he talks about the poor. He says, Beware how you deal with the poor of whom there are many now. If when you meet a poor man you must live who must live from hand to mouth, you act as if everyone must live by your favor. You skin and scrape him right down to the bone. You arrogantly turn him away. Whom you ought to give aid, he will go away wretched and dejected. And because he can complain to no one else, he will cry to heaven. Beware of this, I repeat, as of the devil himself. Such a man sighs and cries will be no joking matter. They will have an, heavy, uh, an effect too heavy for you and all the world to bear, for they will reach God who watches over poor sorrowful hearts, and he will not leave them unavenged. But if you despise and defy this, see whom you have brought upon yourself. If you succeed and prosper before all the world, you may call God and me liars. <laughs> so, wow. L- Luther is, is, is quick to point out here, I think, that this commandment involves also denying the poor. You know, I wonder sometimes when you have the guy on the street Who's who's begging for money? It's, it's always it's always a problem. It's a double problem for me because I'm I'm there in my collar. Yeah, yeah. You know, That's why I'd never wear my cross collar. hanging around my <laughs> neck. You know, and 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 you know, get a job, you loser. But but uh, I, I've come to the point. I've come to the point where I just I do like that guy in Hollywood does. He was giving out dollar bills to everybody. Is is I just give him a I give him a buck or two. And uh, I really like the guy who has the the sign that says "Need money for beer." That guy you can trust. There's an honest <laughs> beggar. I, I, so you he, know, I've he heard that bucks. that those guys make more than the rest because <laughs> because people say, I, you know what, I'll give you a buck for a beer. There's a flip side to that, and and I think Luther would say the same. Woe to you if you are actually not poor, just lazy. Yeah, because that dollar you just took has you have stolen from the truly poor, mm-hmm. for whom that might actually be the only daily bread they see. And though the world may miss this piece of fraud, God doesn't. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a fair amount of defrauding the poor, all these welfare scams and things that people constantly scamming 
government agencies and charities. Oh, sure, yeah. And uh, you know, Luther talks about that and says uh, God doesn't miss a beat on that because the poor cry out to him. And they are in the Bible, the poor are the, they are the image of faith because like Luther said at the end of his life, we are all beggars. And so faith is a beggar before God receiving the riches of his kingdom, deserving none of it, earning none of it. And, and so in this life we see a little paradigm of that in, in the poor receiving uh, from the excess given to others. Yeah, isn't that really fascinating that in the long run, our wealth here on earth has nothing to do with our richness, but we're all poor in spirit. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. And so we, we find that those of us who have nothing to hold before God of any value to him will in the last day find ourselves being richer than all we could ever imagine. You know, and that's the kicker, too. Again, we have to kind of bring it to the Jesus point. He he is, in his death on the cross, he is the thief. He's crucified between two thieves. Crucif- right. Crucified as, as a terrorist, an insurrectionist, a Yeah, thief, I wanted to bring that up. You beat me to it. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. But but he, he becomes the thief in our place. And, and, and we, in turn, in his poverty, become rich in the kingdom of God. We become rich in heavenly treasures that, that he bestows freely on us through no merit of our own. And also we we become the, the neighbor who who helps others because he became neighbor to us. He he has he has protected us and, and continues to protect and improve our our possessions and income and, and that and we in him are free to do the same thing for our fellow man. Nice. Nice. I'm a big fan. Of of God giving me all of his riches. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great passage from Ephesians I wanted to get out there before we run out of time, and that is Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. Now, here's why. So that he may be able to give to those in need. Mm. And, and, and I like how it goes just beyond stop stealing and, and earn your keep, but it, it, it goes to, to so that you might have might be able to to give to those those in need, and so even even labor has an eye out a peripheral view of the the neighbor in mind the other well let's see how are we doing here <laughs> that's a that's a true dead air comment how How are we doing here I'm trying to figure out what we can afford to get into and what we don't have have time for unfortunately well let's let's get a Luther summary here to sum Go up. for it. From the large catechism, as we have done in the previous commandments, on the one hand, we are forbidden to do our neighbor any injury or wrong in any way imaginable, whether by damaging, withholding, or interfering with his possessions and property. We are not even to consent to or permit such a thing, uh, but rather to avert and prevent it. By the way, I, I think that's – think about this. People begrudge jury duty. I should and, do. And, uh, and you know, I, I had a sense of this. I was on a civil trial, and, and this was about, on the one hand, somebody trying to extract a little bit too much money for his, his little industrial mishap, and on the other hand, a person being rightfully uh, compensated for a loss. And, and I think participation in that system is part of this commandment, helping your neighbor improve and protect his possessions and income. And on the other hand, we are to... We are commanded to promote and further our neighbor's interests, and when he suffers want, we are to help, share, and lend to both friends and foes alike. So far, the catechism. Well, what you can afford to give 
don't loan, give. And the blessings are that God has given us everything in the long run. We're out of time. We need to get running here. You've been listening to God Whispers on Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be back next time with the Eighth Commandment. See you soon.